Today on Frightful Failures on Film, we are discussing Student Bodies, a 1981 lampoon of the slasher genre that truly makes you wonder why more people haven't heard of it. Plus, we'll talk about the new movies that Tian has seen and Zach has undoubtedly not seen. So, find yourself an ancient book bound in human flesh and inked in blood, and don't hesitate to read a verse or two, because it's time for... Frightful Failures! <laughs> I hate that uh, I hate that it's become kind of a trope of our show that I'm completely out of the loop when it comes to uh, new films that come out in theaters. I, it's like some kind of like curse. It's like the ghost of Vincent Price has like you know put shackles on you that only allow you to watch like one terrible horror film each week. And no matter what comes out in theaters, you're not allowed to go see it, except for Meet the Blacks. I believe we did agree yes, that's true. Uh, in contract form that you have to go see that in theaters. And I will definitely do so. Good. And uh, I'm sure I'll be very bitter about it just because, you know, that'll be the only film I've seen in theaters, you know, in like two years. Other than Hail Caesar, yeah. which I completely mm-hmm. missed the boat on. Um, so, yes, we uh, now before we get to the, this week's film... Uh, student bodies, and thank you all for hopefully tuning back in. I know we took a, a little brief hiatus, took a week off um, because I'm a terrible person, and so we took a week off. We've come back. We've had time to watch a really uh, strange piece of film from the '80s, and uh, and I'm very excited to get Tien's thoughts on it, just because um, I've I have seen this film before, and so I'm curious as to how he feels about it, and he's just as knowledgeable about. Uh, horror films, especially of the 80s, um, as, as I am myself, so this film kind of is made for us, or at least made to parody things that we're familiar with, sort of like a Cabin in the Woods before there was Cabin in the Woods, I would say. Um, yeah, and that's the main thing that I'll want to talk about, is sort of, uh, you know, what people see as current parodies of the horror genre, and why uh, this almost sort of seems to kind of invalidate them in a way. And so it's a shame that this film didn't really become more popular, it didn't become kind of a cult classic, mm-hmm. uh, because if it had really strived for greatness and, and hit it where it should have, um, then it really would have it would have made things like Scary Movie and, and Captain Woods completely invalid, and, mm-hmm. and so uh, which is interesting to me. But um, but before we get super deep into that, um, I am Tian Gignol. I am one half of your hosts from Fright Failures. I am Zach Romero, the other half that keeps forgetting to do that in our introductions. <laughs> hey. Hey, it's all good. Um, buddy, did you see... Uh, I know I, I made the joke in our intro, but uh, I've got my fingers crossed, toes as well, that you did actually go and see a movie this week, perhaps about a certain caped crusader fighting a, a certain, you know, American icon. Um, no, maybe? no, I, I can't say I made it out to see no. uh, the American Gladiators uh, film Gritty Reboot. No, I mean uh, oh. Superman vs. Batman. No, I didn't get to see that. You have not seen Batman v... Period. Superman. Colin. No. Justice. No. I've seen it twice this weekend. Well, uh, can I say? Can I start off by saying um, I find it very strange. Well, I find it very indicative of what of what DC Comics actually feels, when the fact that they 
went with this movie with Batman getting top billing, even though it's technically a sequel to Man of Steel. Yeah, that is really interesting, actually. Um, maybe they were just doing it uh, alphabetically. Uh, I think that I don't would know. probably be their excuse, but it's because, to me, it's because they feel that Batman is their end-all, be-all answer. That if there's a movie that they're not 100% on board with, well, just put Batman in it, it'll do fine. I'm going to really attempt to restrain myself, because... There's a lot I can talk about, not just about specifically this movie, but about the DCEU, what they're calling their cinematic universe. I want to get into that um, a little bit. I want to get into that just a bit, just because... All right, I, well, get ready for a three-hour episode, Good, folks. good, good, good. No, just because uh, I want to hear some, some real nerd rage from you here, hopefully. All right. So, okay, so... Um, Unless you've been living under a rock, you know that this movie is being extremely, extremely poorly received. Right. Um, people are not digging it at all. Well, it seems um, that people are calling it out a lot more. Um, you know, a lot of, like uh, with the Marvel movies, you know, they, each one may have, um, you know, some issues to them or something like that, or maybe they're not unanimously loved, but mm -hmm. um, but there's still usually like some forgiveness there. This was very, very, everyone was very harsh on this. Everyone was like, oh, well, clearly this is just, you know, set up for all the sequels and blah, blah, blah. People were very uh, cynical and very critical right out of the gate, which I thought was yeah. very interesting. And and I think that, uh, and this is going to be more about what I'm going to talk about, because, uh, you know, I can get into the movie and I can defend the movie and, and that's all fine. But I think what's more interesting to me on this whole topic is that, as you said, people were so willingly ready to attack this. Um, and I think that if this had had the Marvel title on it and had been called, oh, I don't know, Civil War, um, people would just suck its dick regardless of whether it was good or not, or regardless of what kind of biblical allegory was in it or the amount of thematic depth or anything else in this movie. They just say, oh, Marvel? <laughs> Blind love. And I, it's really a shame that because there's been a lot of DC flops, aside from Christopher Nolan stuff, because Man of Steel was an extremely divisive film. Uh, people either said, hey, it's good, I like it, it's cool, or this is terrible. And I, I fell on the this is terrible spectrum. I did not like Man of Steel and had a lot of huge issues. Um, and because of that, it, it's really just a shame that Marvel has now built up this uh, cinematic universe that they can release something that's... Really okay. For instance, I think Ant-Man is okay. I think Ant-Man is an average movie. People just eat it up now. They can release anything, and they're putting a likable face, a likable protagonist in whatever super suit, and people just eat it up. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to pretend like I like I hate the Marvel Universe. I, lo I love the Marvel Universe. Um, I think that they're they're doing some fantastic things, and I think generally they don't release flops anymore. I think there was a lot of flops from Phase 1. I don't think Thor is a very good movie. I think the original Captain America has some problems with it. Um, but it's gotten to a point where people just blindly love whatever they're putting out from the cinematic universe. And even from Fox. You know, I'm sure people are going to blindly love um, uh, Apocalypse. And it looks like from the second trailer it's going to have some issues with it. And so it's really a shame that people aren't... Uh, obviously, the DC hasn't necessarily earned it yet with their cinematic universe that they're building, which is another thing, is the whole idea of, well, Marvel took years since 2008 to give us, like, Avengers, mm -hmm. and it seems like DC is sort of just skipping that entirely. They're just like, 
you know what? We know you haven't earned it by watching like six individual superhero movies, but you know what, guys? Here's Batman versus Superman, and then like next summer, here's Justice League. But just you, we're not going to make you wait around. Here's your dessert prior to eating your vegetables. Right. Basically, is what it feels like, which is fine. I understand that they're you know operating on uh, a different time span at this point, and they're trying to you know go toe to toe with what's going to be Infinity War and everything else. But when you really break it down, I mean, I've, I've seen Famine Serpent twice, and the second time I saw it, I was able to identify far less that I did not like about it. Uh, my main issue with Zack Snyder is that he doesn't know how connective tissue works in a movie. His transitions are very, very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he makes very pretty scenes. He'll set up a gorgeous scene for you, but a lot of times it will feel out of nowhere. Uh, like it wasn't set up properly and that the structure of the overall film, like the scenes seem kind of mishmashed. Um, and that's my main issue. That was a huge issue with Man of Steel. It felt like things were just kind of happening. Excuse me. Uh, things were just kind of happening. And, <laughs> uh, all the podcasts like burp right in the microphone. Um, and so, yeah, but Man of Steel had huge issues where you're like, oh, well, you know, uh, we're, we're being introduced to, to Clark Kent. This is fantastic. Let's see him, you know, growing up and yada, yada. And like, oh, I, I blinked and he's in the super suit flying. Like, what? Oh, my God. This mm-hmm. just happened all of a sudden. Um, and you don't get that as much with Batman Superman. It's definitely a, a more structured film. But I understand. And. And uh, the other issue with uh, Batman Superman I had is that the trailers ruined all of it. Oh. Um, it is a movie where it it honestly makes me hesitant to watch any trailers for anything else ever. Because I feel like I would have enjoyed this so much more if I hadn't seen two of the four main trailers that they released for it. Um, where it just, you know, obviously, you know, the I think it was the third trailer they released. They just went, hey, Doomsday's in this movie. And I think it was the fault of Warner Brothers who really didn't have a lot of confidence in Batman Superman, so they were just trying to release every good-looking part of this movie they could mm-hmm. and just say, hey, nerds, Doomsday's in this. Come see it. And I, I guess it's working. Um, not critically, but I guess people are getting in the seats. It's still doing pretty well in the box office, as far as I know. And um, well, is, I, let, mm-hmm. let me. Uh, you, you've had your time to monologue. Let me. Let me throw a couple things your way. Fine. Jump uh, in. Yeah. Number Person one. Person who hasn't seen the movie, jump in. I feel like your your metaphor for DC's um, method of of making these films is accurate, but could use just a bit of tweaking. It's not so much that DC is giving their viewers. The dessert before dinner, is or the dessert before their vegetables. It feels like they're giving them the dessert and the vegetables together, and they're just saying like, "Well, you're going to eat it all anyway, so just do it this way." Because yes, it could be argued that Marvel taking so long to build to Avengers is nice, but you know that maybe it doesn't have to go exactly that way. You don't have to necessarily go well, we're going to just do one film a year and, and we're going to introduce a character little by little and do the slow burn. You know, the, the, if you did it well, if it was written well enough, you could maybe introduce two or three characters at a time and kind of lower that, that, that number down, especially if they're trying to play catch-up. But having your movie stop for a minute and literally play a slideshow of teaser trailers 
for upcoming characters and going, well, that's good enough. That, you know, you're getting people, they know who they are, that's fine. I think is too fast. I think that's not going to give people enough time to even kind of wrap their head around what the hell's going on. To just be like, well, and here's a Justice League, I guess. So, I don't know. It just feels like they are rushing too much. Like, I'm not saying they had to take as much time, but it's it's a matter of, I think they're going too far in the other direction, of just saying, like, well, here's a brief Wikipedia summary of everybody, and we're just going to jump right into Justice League. It's like, okay, that's refreshing, but you know it's still going to be an origin story, and now it's just going to be a convoluted, convoluted origin story, because now you've got, like, ten people to write origin stories for in one movie. Um... Also, I feel that, you know, with Zack Snyder, you got a director who did Watchmen. And one of the fun little factoids about the movie of, of Watchmen is his original storyboards from the movie were just bits that he cut out of the graphic novel for Watchmen that he, he planned out with that art and that style, which is great. However, in that, in this case, it, it, with Superman, Batman, if they ended up, if he tried to do that same thing with multiple graphic novels and multiple sources, like for instance the Frank Miller stuff and things like that, um, that I don't hate that. I don't hate using that style, you know, to build your movie, but breaking up your your narrative to do, hey, here's a dream sequence that looks like Frank Miller, Batman just because people haven't punched each other enough in this movie, and this was a comic book. You like that, right, nerds? We're using your comic book in our movie? Well, yeah, that's great if it made sense, if you were telling the Frank Miller story. But you're not telling the Frank Miller story. You're telling this origin Batman, you know, calling his staff that's still working while the superhero equivalent of 9-11 is happening outside, and they're still, like, crunching numbers, like, oh, I hadn't even looked out the window! you know, you're doing this weird origin story in that regard, then don't worry about tying in Frank Miller yet, because you haven't reached that yet. Frank Miller's story is about the future where Batman is just an old man who's getting too old for this shit and and done dealing with Superman. You haven't, you're, you're putting the, not only the cart before the horse, you're putting, like, the farm before the horse. Like, there, we, we'll get there. Give us time, we'll get there. But just going like, well, it's a dream sequence, whatever. It's the thing. You know, it would be like if... Uh, if just in every Marvel movie there was just a dream sequence of an Elseworld for no reason. Like, hey, I know we're talking about Civil War right now, but Tony Stark's going to have a dream about 1602, and, oh, there's a Salem witch trial, with but Daredevil's there as the judge. What the hula? Oh, anyway, back to the movie. Like, no, I don't need you to pander to me as a, as a fan and just be like, hey, remember this book that you read? Hey, it's in here, right? No, you can make reference to it fine, but you don't have to just stop the action to go... Okay, hey, here's this scene from another book that you might have read at some point. It looks like somebody else's work. Isn't that great? Aren't you happy? Well, anyway, back to this crap that we're throwing together. I just felt that that was not necessary, and it was just done to pander instead of actual tell a cohesive story. First and foremost, you haven't seen this movie? No. It's frightening to me that you know, like, that amount of specifics about it. Like, I, I can understand you if you've read reviews and heard overall, like, oh, this is people's main problems with it. But to know that people had an issue with Bruce Wayne calling the people at Wayne Enterprises in Metropolis who didn't start evacuating until they called is such a very specific thing in the movie. That frightens me that you know that. Um, but I agree with you, obviously. Um, you know, the fact that the Justice League introduction 
production is literally boiled down to something found on a LexCorp laptop and clicked on it is extremely pandery. And you could have just done without it. Because here's the thing. To play devil's advocate for a moment here and, and to say on the other end of, well, maybe we don't need introduction to these Justice League characters, is like DC can honestly sort of... Uh, Floppage schlong out on the table and say, hey, guess what, Marvel? Like, we don't need to tell audiences who Iron Man is because most people know what Aquaman is. Like, if you walked up to somebody in the streets and said, what's Aquaman's power? They could tell you. They could tell you who Wonder Woman was. They might not be able to tell you who Cyborg or Martian Manhunter is, but... The majority of people know the primary members of the Justice League, what their powers are, what their general origin story is, which speaks more to DC and the kind of impact that DC has had just on mainstream popular culture since, you know, the 60s and and, and going on from that and, and having uh, the Justice League and the Super Friends and things like that that have sort of ingrained these things in general American audiences throughout a variety of ages for a long, long time. And I like that idea that they're just saying, you know what, we don't need to show you the origin of Aquaman before we dig into this. Let's just say this is our version of Aquaman. Look, he's not blonde, he's not wearing a Speedo, but he's still Aquaman. You still know who he is and just move on from there. And I kind of like that. True, and I will admit that I know I know that I've complained in the past, not necessarily on the show, but I've complained in the past that, like, oh, you know, every superhero movie, it's always the first two-thirds as an origin story, and then we introduce a villain, and da-da-da-da-da. And I do, I do agree that it doesn't have to be that way, especially, like you said, if the characters in question are ingrained in pop culture. However, with that said, I guess the... the, the, the I wasn't specific enough with my wish to the genie uh, when I wished that there was a superhero movie that didn't get bogged down with an origin story. That did not mean just throw as much superhero shit as a, at a wall as you can and see what sticks and make that your big group movie. <laughs> that was not my intention. Um, so I'm sorry, everybody. This is on me. I, I should have been more specific. <laughs> That's true. You didn't um, know that it was going to be the, you know, like devil from Bedazzled who was going to, like, right. you know fuck up your wish if you didn't phrase it just so um yeah no i mean that, like i said i mean i'm still going to be somebody who's going to defend bvs because i think the overall structure of it and the overall themes of what is just the conflict between batman and superman regardless of all the other stuff they try and throw in um regardless of the really like awkward flashpoint thing that happens out of nowhere and you're like, what am I watching right now? Um, that just the conflict between Batman and Superman is very well done. I like the, the themes of all that, and I, I like everybody's performances for the most part. Um, I think Ben Affleck's spectacular. Doing Bruce. Um, I really liked Jesse's Lex. I was just going to ask about that. What did you think about that? Because I've heard it's a very different take on Lex Luthor. It is, and here's the thing. Um, you're never going to get this Lex Luthor running for president, because he's essentially... You know, I, I hate to make this comparison because I I don't think Jesse Eisenberg is a bad actor, but but it is very social networky in the way that he's playing an eccentric young millionaire, um, and that is what Mark Zuckerberg is, mm -hmm. um, and so he's very uh, people just kind of accept. You know, he he makes appearances in public and he kind of goes on tangents and can't really find his words and 
lashes out sometimes and people just accept it. They say, oh, that's Lex Luthor, you know, and, and they just accept that as this is a part of who this person is. He's extremely intelligent. He's got a lot of money, runs this big company, but he's a little bit weird, a little bit out there. And we just accept that that's part of his personality. And I'm okay with that. You know, and the, the, the loss there is that you don't get the Lex Luthor that can be a presidential candidate. You don't get the Lex Luthor that makes a very good antithesis to the Joker, for that that kind of a, of a team up, you know, in a way. Um, but I'm okay with that. I really, really liked it. Um, he starts out a little weird, and you're like, eh, I don't know about this. But once the actual conflict of the movie gets rolling, and you actually see him being in Superman's face, it's really well done. Um, and I liked it a lot. Now, I had a brief thought, and I'm not here to you know necessarily do the uh, the dream booking of of uh, superhero films, but. Mm-hmm. The, I think the the best candidate for Lex Luthor in a movie, like if I was making a super, if I'm making a Superman movie, and I'm doing, not the origin story, I'm doing the they're adults, everybody's an adult. I don't know who I would play have play Superman, but my Lex Luthor would be somebody like, um, damn it, I had it. Um, oh, he played. Shitty Batman. Um, Shitty Batman? Yeah, he played one of them. George? Yes, George Clooney. Bald George Clooney would be... If I if I, if I I could have my superhero movie, and I, I would mm-hmm. have Lex Luthor be played by bald George Clooney, because Lex Luthor, to me, and this is, again, without seeing this new movie, without mm-hmm. seeing Jesse Eisenberg, should be handsome, should be charismatic... And the twist should be that he's crazy. The twist should not be, oh, he's got a lot of money or whatever. Uh, the twist should be he's crazy. You should be able to believe that Lex Luthor could be a- elected president and that after he's elected president, everyone goes, oh, no, he's crazy? Damn it, he was so handsome. That's what I feel. Like, mm-hmm. when he's like, oh, by the way, my whole agenda is just based around I hate Superman and I want him to go away. That should come as like a, oh no, like that should be when the grand reveal in the third act of, oh my god, he was behind it the whole time, that should come as a tragedy to the audience because he should be so likable. Um, so that's just me, like that's where I'm coming from, sight unseen of this movie, is I would say, you know, like a, like a George Clooney would be somebody that I would, I would book for just because I think... When I think Lex Luthor, that's what I think of. Somebody handsome, somebody who's knowledgeable, somebody who is charming and charismatic that you'll follow and hope to God that he's not evil, which he definitely is. So that's where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I don't want to prejudge this film. I don't want to say, like, oh, Jesse Eisenberg, bleh. Um, but I'm just saying... Are you sure you don't want to prejudge this film? Because we've been talking about it for almost 30 minutes now, like heavily discussing whether it's good or bad, and you haven't seen it. Okay, I want to prejudge this movie. This movie sounds like Nutsack, and uh, I'm not thrilled about it. (laughs) Now, with that said, so you've seen this movie twice now. Yes. And for some reason, I guess it's like Stockholm Syndrome or whatever, but every time you're seeing it, you hate it less and less. Um, So Mm -hmm. I guess three more times, and you'll start recommending it to people. Um, but with I would that recommend said, it to people after the first viewing. My okay, problem so after you the don't, first you don't, then that means you just don't have um, any kind of respect or love for friendship. Um, if you would recommend this movie to people that you care about, if you recommend it to your worst enemies, I would say that's fine. But no, nevertheless, um, isn't there a phrase about books and covers? 
Yes, yes. The phrase is, if it looks like a nutsack, it smells like a nutsack, and it's written like a nutsack, it's probably a nutsack. Is, but is, how is do you it? know if it's written like a nutsack or smells like a nutsack if you haven't even been in the theater to smell said nutsack? Because I'm uh, when you've when you've seen enough nutsacks, you can spot them a, a mile away. And let me let me make this perfectly oh, clear about Zach Romero. Zach Romero is a man who knows nutsacks. Um, by the way, that is uh, true. By the way, to, to anyone listening, if, if anything, Zach Romero, I thought I mean I didn't know that this was going to evolve into Zach Romero uh, nutsacks. I thought it was going to say that Zach Romero, if anything, is a man who has an entire YouTube series about just watching. 15 minutes of a movie before deciding whether it's garbage. <laughs> the end of that movie. That's true. What, that, thank you for, for, for pointing out that I am nothing but a prejudgy asshole. That's literally <laughs> all I do now. That's part of, is watch part of 10 the, seconds the of footage and draw a conclusion and throw out the whole movie. <laughs> what I was going to say, br- prior to my entire career getting pointed out to me in one fell swoop, and now I'm questioning everything that I do, before that, I was going to say to anybody listening... If you would like to purchase your own Zach Romero Knows Nutsacks t-shirts, they will be available on FullyGimmick.com. Um, but, yes, now I'm completely questioning everything <laughs> that I do and whether or not I'm just a pre-judgy asshole. And uh, I'm going to have a deep cry about Those that later. Those shirts now. better be available. I, I can Those make them. But, nevertheless, that is very sad to know that now I'm just a pre-judgy asshole. <laughs> um, um, I, I, you know, if, any, if nothing else, I like to play the advocate here. I like to play devil's advocate to just say, if well, hang on, else, you if know... TN likes to sum up your character in one crushingly honest sentence and define oh, it that no. way, and then make you no. question everything that you've done for the past eleven years. Now, I did no. want to say before I completely delete my YouTube channels and throw those all out. <laughs> no. um, I did want to ask, since you have seen Super- Batman v Superman uh, twice, and you are seeing that there are some positives to it, that it's not just this giant uh, train wreck. It's not uh, the League of yes. Extraordinary Gentlemen of DC. Yes. Um, do you still have confidence in the upcoming Suicide Squad film? Absolutely, because it's completely different. I mean, I, I admit that I don't like Zack Snyder, really. I think that I have a huge issue with his movies because I think that he's a 16-year-old directing for a Marilyn Manson video stuck in a 45-year-old's body. And, and you know, if I have to see one more Zack Snyder movie that opens with a tragedy happening in slow motion to a song that he really likes on his iTunes, I'm going to fucking kill myself. I mean, it's it's and that's exactly what happens in this movie. And so, and you can imagine what that tragedy is with a name like Batman in front of the title. And so, I I don't like Zack Snyder, and and I think that I've always I've always been more excited about Suicide Squad than Batman v Superman. As strange as that sounds, because it's it's always looked like they knew they knew more what they were going for. They had a more specific style in mind. I think that Zack probably had more people pulling on him in different directions for this movie. Right. Saying, well, let's put some levity in there. Um, well, let's, you know, no, let's keep it as gritty as possible. This is Batman. Have it to be as broody as possible. And and I think that that's why there's a little bit of kind of weird mishmash of, well, what are we going for here? Is this more about the romance between Lois and Clark? Is this more about, you know, is this just Batman's story? Is Batman narrating this whole movie? You know, what, what, who are we really siding with here? Well, and, and that's why and, I feel like it. And mm-hmm. I want to mention something. Um, now, I don't have... Uh, a blind, seething hate for uh, Zack Snyder. I have enjoyed quite a bit of his work. I enjoy his use of Richard Cheese and the Lounge Against the Machine in his soundtracks. Mm-hmm. But um, That's a movie I can't hate on at all, um, by the way. I mean, I, I, I'm referring mostly to Sucker Punch. I think Sucker Punch is like 
eighty percent garbage. Right. Um, and, and also, I mean, I've I've got some issues with Watchmen as well. Which, I, hilariously enough, I think it's uh, interesting that there's such a uh, a backlash against this film that now people are sort of apologizing for Sucker Punch. Because up <laughs> until this movie, Sucker Punch was the go-to if you were going to shit on Zack Snyder. That was the movie you talked about. And now this Batman v Superman is the new one to talk about. To the point where people are saying, like, well, at least Sucker Punch was nice to look at. Like, that's their, their apology for it now. Which I was like... This is still a very pretty movie. I mean, I've not dug into the reviews as much as I should have. Like, I know the critical reception of it generally, and I've sort of skimmed across the homepage of Rotten Tomatoes to see what people... Mm, vaguely, the the title of what people are saying about you know the movie. I guess I haven't gotten to the real nitty gritty. I was just say what what was that about books and covers earlier that you read the title of somebody's review and went well okay I get what he's talking about. <laughs> I believe that the books and covers metaphor uh, doesn't work in the extreme fourth wall meta of reviews of a uh, content. So reviews of said book. Do you, do you think? I mean, <sighs> no. I, well, I'm I'm trying to bust balls here, but uh, no, you're right. It, you can't necessarily just Consider go through them and read, especially with Rotten Tomatoes, which again I think is hilarious that people are suddenly taking uh, Rotten Tomatoes as you know uh, word of God kind of thing. That they're going, oh well, that you know is oh this is like the pulse of what the people are thinking. No, because Rotten, it's critical reception, yeah. But Rotten Tomatoes fluctuates like uh, nobody's business. It's it's all mm -hmm. about extremes. So it's like even the first day that Superman v Batman came out, that score fluctuated from like a fourteen percent rating to like a seventy percent rating. Like it just bounces back and forth, and people yeah, it's not. I don't think it's a true assessment of the overall populace, just because. Especially once it gets out that, you know, oh, hey, this is what pe people are talking on this site, that a lot of people will go in just... It's like with IMDb, that you'll see certain ratings uh, on movies, and especially mm -hmm. like it's with, like if it's like a Kirk Cameron uh, religious film, that it'll go from, oh my god, it's like super highly rated, to suddenly it's super low, and then it's back to high, and nobody's, nobody reviewing it is even watching it. It's that Kirk Cameron and his people keep giving it ten stars, and people who hate Kirk Cameron and religion are giving it one star, but no one's actually seeing it. They're just trying to, you know, make the rating fit their agenda. Same thing with Rotten Tomatoes. It's like, once it gets out of, oh, hey, this is what everyone's using as the benchmark to judge this film, then you've got people like me, pre-judgy pieces of shit, who aren't giving anything a chance and are summing it up after watching ten minutes of, the fo of footage, going in and going, oh, this is a travesty, this is a mockery, this is a miscarriage of film justice, and they haven't even given the movie a fair shake, and then you've got these people in the pockets of the of the movie company going, oh, no, this is the, this is what DC Comics is all about, and this is what they're made of, and throwing out blurbs that they can use in the movie poster. So none of it is really genuine, I feel. Really, it's it's a case where you probably just need to go see it yourself if you're going to make a, you know the ultimate decision. Um I, I do feel, however, that if you are, this is going to be one of the more clear indicators of, or clearer examples of, if you are a comic book fan going into that movie, instead of that being a benefit, that you are going to be burdened by context. Because 
and I don't want to do a big comparison between Marvel and DC, but like for instance with Civil War, that's not how the Civil War in the comics go at all. Because mm-hmm. the Civil War in comics like spanned every character in their universe. It yeah. spanned like two dozen books that had tie-ins to it. It was a huge deal, just all over the place. And there's no way that they can properly convey that in film, so they're kind of just summing it up, and they're like, well, we're just kind of using the basic ideas of it, and we're doing it with you know this much smaller cast. Okay, mm-hmm. so as a fan, you know, I go in and I know that Civil War is supposed to be bigger, but they're making it happen with what they've got. Okay, that's not a burden of context. But in this case, in Superman Batman, like I said before, the fact that I know about Frank Miller's work, the fact that I know about these certain comic ideas that they just sort of throw in, that distracts me now. Instead of going in, if I hadn't known about that, I would go, well, this whole dystopian future thing, and who's Darkseid, and oh my god, this is crazy, and why is he wearing, why is he dressed like Silent Bob from Mallrats, you know, like, then I wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be such a burden, but in this particular case, you know, it's it's a situation where I'm distracted by my own knowledge going into a film, because I'm like, well, I know they're not going to do it right, and I feel like it's pandering, instead of, oh, what a neat reference they made, you know, so, and, and that's on me, unfortunately, as a, as a viewer. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, and I think to, to go back to what you said like 10 minutes ago about the reviews. Um, Are you that suggesting that that, that I monologue that was 10 minutes? people jumped on it. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> That's not what I'm suggesting. That's not what I go I'm back suggesting. 45 um, minutes ago when you said reviews is dumb. <laughs> you did not say that. But what you did say is that um, I believe what you were indicating is that uh, some of the reviews may have been a snowball effect, which I could see because I think that people jumped on the hate train a little too quickly right. when they first started to see a lot of the initial uh, negative reviews. And I think that affected maybe some other negative reviews, and it just was kind of a domino effect, and, and more negative reviews are being generated because people were seeing negative reviews, and they said, oh, wow, people don't like this movie. Well, I don't want to look like I'm the one critic in my small town that disagrees or, you know, gets called out for it or, you know, uh, rocks the boat in any way. I want to just kind of agree with what, you know, New York Times is saying and say, oh, it's also bad. And here's, here's reasons why I think it's bad. And I think that that's a big deal. But honestly, I mean, it still landed in a very bad place, you know, from going 11, 70, you know, 20, 50, yada, yada. It still landed at 30. Um and I think even to play off of what you were saying about, like, Kirk Cameron saving Christmas, like, yeah, that it did get a lot of mixed reviews, but, I mean, that came out, what, like, a few years ago, and it still landed at an 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and I think that that's where we're at now, and I think that's the reason why Warner Brothers has been so scared and uh, released some apprehension a while ago. And it really makes me wonder, well, how is this reception going to affect the way that they approach Justice League, which is well underway. They can't just pull the plug in at this point. And do they plan on maybe pulling the plug or adjusting any of their future titles because of the reception for Batman Superman, which they felt, I assume, was their ace in the hole. Well, I did hear in a recent interview that there's been uh, a couple of different people working on those films that go, oh, no, no, these other ones aren't going to be so gritty. You know, They're not going to be so serious. So I already feel like, yeah, they're going to try to start switching things around, which is what I wanted to say originally, and of course I got distracted by my own prejudgy bullshit, that uh, with, with Zack Snyder, I do feel like he was pulled in a lot of different directions here. That It wasn't mm-hmm. just his vision and, oh, hey, I'm going to make a Superman-Batman movie the way I want to make it. 
it was, oh, we'll make sure you fit this in. Oh, we'll make sure you put this in. Oh, well, we're building towards this, so you better put a reference to that in there. And I feel we're, we're coming to that again, where it's going to be, you know, even Suicide Squad, which gets to be its own project, like you said, it is its own separate idea. And um, and who knows, maybe this will be the big success they're looking for. And the lesson learned is, okay, don't try to cram so much in and, you know, let the let the director tell their story and not overproduce it because that might be what ended up being the problem here is you know if a board of directors is going well we need more screen time for batman well the story doesn't really constitute that well it needs to be in there or well we need a frank miller reference or oh well we need the justice league you know uh, trailer slideshow in there oh well now the movie kind of sucks for it suicide squad is trying the same thing it's introducing all new characters in one movie and you know it's a big group film and i guess that's going to kind of be the test of how they could potentially do justice league and hopefully it's not going to be overproduced, where they'll go, okay, just tell the story as best you can, and then we'll try to market it. You know, that's on us instead of, well, did you make a reference to Bruce Wayne? Did you make a reference to this? Did you make a reference to, you know, the, the fight in Metropolis? Did you make a reference to, you know, that kind of stuff is going to weigh down any movie. You could be making Jaws. You could be making Jurassic Park. You could be making Citizen Kane. But if somebody comes along every ten minutes and go, hey, did you make a reference to this? Hey, did you put this in there? Hey, we're going to put that on a shirt. Make sure you talk about that then it's always going to bog down a film. Even if it was like an okay film, it's going to greatly make that a uh, a less sought-after film where it's going to be... It's it's going to damage the film if, you, if you're if you too busy with that kind of horse shit and including it in your film. So I don't. I want to defend Zach a little bit because his name is yeah. Zach and say that, you know, <laughs> I don't necessarily think that he's just this ridiculous idiot savant who just went, and just, you know, made this awful Superman-Batman fight movie. I think that he probably had a vision in mind. He probably wanted to make some references to specific comics because that's going to get fans to pop. And that, you know, big DC or whomever, or Warner Brothers, kicks in the door and says, I, I find it hard to believe that in the middle of of working on this film that Zack Snyder kicked in the door of Warner Brothers and said, hey, I don't care what you say, I'm putting in a slideshow of trailers of all the other heroes that are going to be in Justice League and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. No, I imagine they were like, hey, make sure you make references to these guys or there's going to be trouble. And he went, um, can Batman just kind of show it on a laptop? Is that cool? Like, do we have to go any deeper than that? They're like, well, as long as it's in the movie, that's all we care about. Okay, then he's just going to pull up a slideshow. He's going to pull up a PowerPoint presentation on here are other heroes that are going to be in our movies, I guess. We'll just do that at the end. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you, and it's interesting because I don't know how you would avoid that for an $800 million movie to avoid overproduction, Right. Be- because it, it, I think you're 100% correct, and I think that we've seen that definitely with Marvel as well, and I think that the only way to avoid that, really, to answer my own question, is to get somebody that just has uh, such a distinct creative vision, and who will not compromise in the ways that uh, that he is allowed to not compromise as a director, Um Somebody like Joss Whedon, really. But even Joss Whedon, you know, did interviews after, you know, Avengers 2 and said, I, there's no fucking way I'm doing another one of these. This is horrible. Right, this is because, a living nightmare. Because when you watch Avengers 2, there's stuff that, that gets rearranged and weird that you're like, why? What yes. Like, here's my number one question of Avengers 2. You ready? Mm-hmm. What the hell is going on with Thor in that movie? Like, oh, my God. He's you're in a right. cave, and there's lightning in the cave, and we're just like, hey, we just don't talk to him anymore. Like, <laughs> there is so much that seems disjointed in that in that second movie. And don't get me wrong, I love the Avengers yeah. movies. I really do. And, like, everybody, mm-hmm. um, I remember that the big complaint about Avengers 2 was, uh, oh, everyone's the cool guy in the room. Everybody has a cool catchphrase. 
yeah, motherfucker, because it's a nine, it's it's a comic book movie. Everyone's supposed to be awesome. They're not supposed, mm-hmm. you know, when you're building the Justice League, you're not like, oh yeah, here's Superman, totally badass. Here's Batman, totally badass. Here's Wonder Woman, badass. And Plastic Man better be in there for everybody to shit on. <laughs> no, you go. Here's a cool. Here's a team of awesome characters. So yeah, I'm okay with everybody having like cool one-liners because they're all goddamn superheroes. Like, yes, please, all have cool lines. But yeah, what happens to Thor in that movie? What I'm sure that I, I, I'm sure that was a definitely um, you know something that suffered from exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Of that the studio came in and said, "All right, we're setting up Thor three. We're setting up Ragnarok. You have to do this." And he says, "Well, you know, they just got to you know Velma's house, and they really want to you know we really want to have Thor there to kind of interact with uh, Hawkeye's kids and have it be kind of funny. He's this big guy, you know. We really want to have him be there and step on more Legos and really have him." be pretty funny and they're like no no have them fly away right now go to a cave go get Stellan Skarsgård go to a cave and just get shocked and see all the uh, infinity gems and that's that's what's going to happen okay it seems very I don't know I mean it doesn't really fit with kind of what the story I'm telling felt well you have to do this very true and and, and I think you're exactly right and I think that's sort of the the danger of what we're looking for as a as a audience now we want these big crossover films now that avengers worked now we want you know these we want these big crossover movies and we want these big events and all that which is fine but here's here's the hard truth of it is uh, be ready for a lot more of that kind of shit be ready for a lot more like hey and we're gonna do the the agents of shield tv show so you better put a reference to those in there like that kind of stuff is gonna be a lot more prevalent yeah, and I'm sure in that sense it's a lot harder to make a Marvel movie right now than a DC movie. A, because you're working under the mouse, and, I mean, Jesus. Yeah. Um, and and B, because uh, with not only, you know, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter and every other Marvel TV show with the word agent in it, and now the Netflix uh, Marvel Studios universe, and now uh, how many movies are we looking at now? It's like, of the, of Marvel Studios, 13, right? right 13 exactly. movies there's been. Um, so, so having a reference to at least one, and then always making sure that you have, you know, at least three scenes after the credits to hint to something else that's going on. And I'm sure it's very, very difficult. And I think that, in that sense... And that's why people have been drawing the, the comparison between Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy is that they seem comparable, not only in tone and levity, but also in the fact that they are, they seem like they can be very standalone and just kind of exist on their own and not have to involve like a big reference to the Metropolis disaster and right. a big reference to, you know, this or that. Um, and I have to say, as much as I've poo pooed on Suicide Squad in the past just because I do feel like that it is their equivalent of of suicide of, of Guardians of the Galaxy, and they're just trying to make it like that. Um, if that opens the door to, hey, yeah, you can just make a superhero movie. Here are some characters. Don't worry about trying to tie it in. It could be a breath of fresh air. And I've always felt that way about uh, comic books as well. There was a, a, a series started by Paul Dini, who is one of the forefront Godfathers. Mm-hmm. Of comic books, he's the inventor of Harley Quinn. You know, he's a great, great writer, and uh, I'm a very big fan of his work. And he was—he's the one who started uh, um, Gotham City Sirens, which was going to be a woman-centric book about Catwoman, uh, Poison Ivy, and Harley Quinn. 
and how and and kind of tell their stories, and not in like a girl power way so much as just a hey, these three always kind of play second banana to somebody. Let's give them a story and see how it runs. And it, w- it started really great. It explored a lot of different um, elements and characters of Gotham. Very great, very interesting read, not just like titty fan service. Like, it's actually a pretty decent story. And then they ran into this problem. And it's the exact same problem that Suicide Squad might run into. It's the exact same problem that Guardians of the Galaxy could run into. Um, or anything where you're off the beaten path. That the minute you have the inclusion of something bigger than what's that, that than what you were given to start with, you run into problems. Because the issue with Gotham City Sirens was you couldn't tie in anything bigger. Oh, hey, we have this really great story. We want to tie Nightwing in. Well, that is too damn bad because you can't use Nightwing. Oh, we have a story. It would really work out well if we could just have Batman just show up for, like, just a couple of scenes. No, that's too bad. That's not. We can't make that happen. Same thing. If Suicide Squad's the best written superhero movie ever... And then something comes along and you go, oh, and all we need is we need Ben Affleck on set for like two minutes to film this one thing and it'll make it. And they go, well, no, because Affleck, Batman, that doesn't, that's not how that would work out. We need him to do this or he'd be doing this at the time. And you're like, oh, God damn it. And then suddenly your story starts to lose steam. And that's exactly what happened with Gotham City Sirens is the story fizzles out. The book fizzles out because it was like they're, they had such little to work with that the minute they tried to grow and make it more important, they weren't able to. And the same thing. Suicide Squad could be the breath of fresh air that people are looking for in DC comic book movies, but if they're going to limit them to like, no, 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 don't ever mention Superman or Batman, even if it would make sense here, don't do it because you're, you know, we're making this movie and we don't want that to cross over. Something like that could end up botching this when it could be their saving grace. It could be their Deadpool. Yeah, uh, and I'm so glad that you said that word at the end there, because uh, I think that that is the other side of that coin of being shoehorned in, because as they, as Ryan Reynolds has said in interviews, you know, when he started in Deadpool and they said, okay, well, you know, we're, we're Fox, so we've got the X-Men, so uh, if you're going to have an X-Man in this movie, who do you want? He says, I want Wolverine. I said, well, you're not fucking getting Wolverine. He said, okay, well, I want Magneto. I said, well, you're not getting Magneto either. Sorry. And so, uh, after going down a huge list of X-Men, he winds up with Colossus, who is by no means a D-list X-Man. Um, and then Negasonic, who was in one comic, I think. One issue of a comic at some point. Yes. And, but, but it just goes to show that when you're really passionate about this story and what you do have to talk about, it doesn't matter that they're not letting you have the big guys. They're not letting you have the A-listers. You're still going to be passionate about the story that you're going to tell, and you're going to make it work. And yes, Deadpool at times feels very small. It feels like it takes place on two sets, and that's it. <laughs> um, it, it really, it, it is still great, and it still has made, I think, percentage-wise, more than any superhero movie ever, in terms of budget versus, you know, mm-hmm. uh, box office payoff, that has made more than any superhero film ever, and it just goes to show well, hey, guys, you know, if you make a smaller movie about something that people are passionate about, that people like, that people believe they're doing the right thing by telling this story and not just, well, let's just let's service the fans, but also try and make as much money as possible in making this movie, then it can really, really pay off. And um, obviously it's, it's good that with Suicide Squad we do have a confirmation that, yes, Batman will indeed, you know, be making that appearance. And so it's good that at least, you know, Warner Brothers is 
letting you play with their toys a little bit, even if you are making a, a standalone, you know, like, okay, you can borrow my Batman toy for just 10 minutes of your movie, and that's great, and I, uh, I'm i hoping that Dave Ayer will really pull through and make this a great standalone movie. Um, but it also sort of, uh, it sort of begs the question, in terms of what you were referencing with the Gotham City Sirens, well, can we take these big characters and tell a smaller story. So for, mm-hmm. for months now, I've been fantasizing about, well, when they make a standalone Ben Affleck Batman movie, I want them to make it like Arkham Asylum. I don't want it to be this big Gotham is about to blow up. Gotham and Metropolis are both going to blow up. Batman, save it. I would love to have the whole movie just be set in Arkham Asylum and have it be a very intimate Batman story involving several rogues, perhaps, and, and have it just be about Batman and maybe Gordon mm-hmm. and his rogues and the relationship between them and really dive into Batman psychology, like not just the video game Arkham Asylum, but maybe Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum Ooh, as well. It would be okay. more about the psychology of Batman and the idea of would your rogues exist if you didn't exist um, and them being uh, aspects of his personality, Two-Face and Penguin and Scarecrow, etc., and I, that that's the Batman movie I'm interested in. I'm not interested in another big uh, the city slash greater metropolis area slash country slash world are all at stake. Batman, save us. Uh, I'd be interested in a more personal and intimate story. Very true. Very true. I, I completely agree with that. Now, let me ask you to be prejudgy and shitty for a second. Sure. Um, in regards to Suicide Squad... Mm-hmm. What is the aspect of what you've seen thus far? What aspect are you most excited about? And what aspect are you most concerned with? As in, what are you going, man, I can't wait to see that? And which part are you going, man, I hope they don't screw that up like I think they're going to? I think both of those questions start and end with the Joker, to be honest with you. Really? Um, yeah, because um, obviously I was very hesitant when they released the first photo of him and said, oh, gosh, is this the direction they're going with? And uh, Which, side note about that whole big mm-hmm. fucking thing, how that's the perfect example of not having confidence in your work. Like you said before with Warner Brothers, they released this very controversial photo of Jared Leto with all kinds of tattoos on him and things like that, and this is the Joker, and the world loses their mind, and goes, this is garbage, why does he look like a gangbanger, da-da-da-da-da. And then Warner Brothers' response is, oh, no, 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 that was just a reference to uh, 75 Years of the Joker. It's just an homage, that's all. He doesn't look like that, come on. (laughs) Just kidding, he definitely looks like that. So, that goes Um, to show you that the minute you go, whoa, 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 that Warner Brothers will be there to go, we're all talking, we're all having fun. Who's, Who's taking it seriously? Come on, come on. Just kidding, though. No, it really is that. Please, please accept it. Please accept it. Um, but I think that uh, with the first trailer, and uh, I quickly learned to love it because I, I heard a lot of Joker defenders who said, well, listen, uh, Joker is a parody of gangster culture. So just like when he was invented in the 60s and sort of continued through the 80s and the 90s, it was still a parody of, uh, like, 50s gangster culture. True. You know? Um, and now that... 
gangsters, the idea of a gangster is different. The idea of a gangster is the kind of thug that you imagine that is tattooed up and, you know, covered and has grills and, and all that, that now we would see a parody of that instead and see, well, you know, what if these tattoos were all jokes? What if these tattoos and, you know, what if this guy was still the Joker, but it's now a parody of our current culture? And it just, it, it made sense. It made I sense. wish that like was this. the official response from Warner Brothers. That's the best uh, reasoning that I've ever heard um, for that that sort of designed choice for uh, for the Joker for this movie. That's a, that's an excellent explanation. And that and it explains a lot of the Suicide Squad's looks too. Is that they all look very modern because they're current criminals. And yes, people really get upset when you don't make a supervillain look like a supervillain nowadays because they so rarely do. I think like Electro in Amazing Spider-Man 2 is one of the few, um, you know, opposites of that where they actually did put him in a supervillain costume, which is, which was great. I'm sad that Amazing Spider-Man 2 was as shittily received as it was. But, um, no, I think that um, the to, to continue on the on the Joker train there. That yes, I was willing to defend it, and that from what I saw from the first couple trailers, I was on board. I loved the look of his goons. I love that he's got scary looking goons that are either demonic looking, like a goat's head or something, or like a cartoon Batman mask or whatever, which is just so very Joker. I'm like, okay, I, I get, and I know what they're doing. And all the early interviews with Leto, where he really seemed like he knew what he was talking about. He had the right amount of respect for this character, and he had the right idea of not just trying to be Heath Ledger, um, mm-hmm. or not trying to be anybody, but just have it be his own thing. I think that seeing the the second trailer there and everybody's reaction and the kind of meme that developed from that, the whole Tumbo thing of like Joker crumbles up Snickles wrapper, throws it on the ground, David Ayer, oh my gosh, Jared, where does the Joker stop and? And you begin, right. please come back, you know, that, which I hate that meme. Um, that may, may, uh, but no, well, I, I think that's sort of a, I think that's sort of a counterculture thing to Heath Ledger because the same, they said the same things about Heath Ledger that, oh, he, he would like hold up in the hotel room and that, you know, he, he would write journals in character and, you know, once he was on set, he was that. All the same bullshit, but for whatever reason, I guess because this isn't the first time it's done. Or because everyone's being really dramatic about it, that now it's being considered a parody. I don't know, but I, I see your point. It's like yeah, it was cool when Heath Ledger did it, but when Jared mm-hmm. Little does it, it's it's something to mock openly. Yeah, and so I, I'm worried that either that's going to affect what they put on as the finished product, um, that the people sort of reaction to that that they're either going to try and downplay him and and his original vision. Or that, uh, or that he just might do something that is not necessarily what we're looking for. I, I was also extremely scared at the rumor that was floating around that they were saying, "Hey, guys, this isn't the Joker. This is Jason Todd," and that I would just be totally—I uh, wouldn't know what to do. I would walk out of the theater if they—if they said, "This is Jason Todd. This is really that would such upset a, you that much." It would be such a slap in the face to to everybody. You know, and and it would be extremely insulting as a as a Joker fan and as a Batman Rogue fan to have them try and introduce a new Joker with the Suicide Squad movie, even as a Suicide Squad fan, um, and to have them say, "Hey guys, this is Jason Todd. We pulled the wool over your eyes." It would be so extremely insulting to me. Um, now, is that and, because because you feel that that's just a, a swerve just to just to do it? Like it doesn't 
Yes. Anything to the movie? Yes, but but also that I feel that because they're establishing this new cinematic universe, that I feel like they should have the balls to establish their new Joker and say, hey, this is it. Because at this point, if they said, it's Jason Todd, just kidding, and that was the reveal at the end of the Suicide Squad, I would say with 90% certainty that that would have been a move that they would have done because of audience reactions to Jared Leto's Joker, that they would have said, just kidding, this is Jason Todd, here's the real Joker, and had him be, you know, in the standard purple suit and be more of a standard Jack Nicholson Joker, as opposed to what he currently is, and I think that would be cowardly and terrible, and I would hate that. Interesting. Um, I think it's really interesting. And, and, yeah. and I, can't, I can't say that I disagree. Don't get me wrong. I think that if you had, um, what was it? Um, the Batman Beyond movie. They yes. did that swerve, where... Mm-hmm. The Joker, when he finally crossed the line, it was because he brainwashed Robin into being, like, the Joker Jr., and that's what pushed Batman Mm -hmm. to kill, essentially. And so, I don't think that having a story where a former hero becomes the Joker is necessarily a bad thing, or can't be done well, but I agree with you wholeheartedly that if the reason why they did it is not because that was what was originally on the paper, but because they, they're too cowardly to stand by their original decision, then I 100% agree with you. I think that would be more harmful than anything else. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I mean, like I said, I'm super excited about Suicide Squad, and I think to further answer your question, on the positive end of things, Almost every aspect I'm super excited about. I'm super excited to see who is the primary villain of this movie, because obviously they've announced that Tattooed Man is in it. And you can imagine that Joker might be almost like the Alex Ross's Justice, kind Mm. of his role in that, where he's the wild card, as he often is. He is the Joker card thrown in there that kind of fucks everything up. Um, but in terms of the primary, the the mission that they are sent in on, I, I don't think that's Tattooed Man. People are saying maybe OMAC. Uh, from what they can see from the second trailer of this, like, kind of bright, colorful thing, like, tearing up the subway train car. They, they say maybe OMAC. Um, but I'm very interested to see what that is. I'm very interested to see what they do with all of the roles in the film. Who dies? Obviously, that's going to die within the first 20 minutes of the movie. Um, but uh, to see, okay, are they going to keep Killer Croc? Are they going to keep Katana? Um, what is going to be Enchantress's role? Because she seems very unstable in the movie, and, like, she might kind of uh, be working against them in some way. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm interested in all of that. The only other thing I'm concerned about is, is too much focus on Will Smith because Will Smith, and he's yeah, what's going to get... Will Smith is like their big name that they've run. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm worried they're going to dig too deep into uh, the Floyd Lawton backstory and blah, 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 and, and, and really kind of short a lot of the other backstories or, you know, as we saw with Batman Superman, like kind of fast forward through other backstories and just go, okay, Enchantress, she's in a cave. Okay. She found some, you know, which she's possessed. Okay. We're good. And then spend 30 minutes on Floyd Lawton and his daughter and, and have that be the real emotional core of the movie. That's fine. Movies need an emotional core, but I would rather see that among the characters that we're introduced to, not to a dog that's off screen the whole movie and just assume this is what's driving this character and that's it great I can do that do that in 10 minutes or less preferably less way less Um, just do that very quickly and then get to the actual have me care about Boomerang have me care about Harley Quinn you know have me care about all the rest of the characters in the movie I was just going to say are you afraid at all about Harley yeah the treatment of Harley in this 
No. Um, I think from what I can see from the trailer, I'm really happy what they're doing with her so far. She seems dangerous. She seems unhinged. Um, it seems like they're somewhat downplaying the sexuality of her, which I really like. Um, I was really afraid that with Margot Robbie, you know, the only major role we are knowing her from is her being naked for half the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was really scared that this was going to be the most sexualized Harley Quinn you could possibly imagine. But from what we can see from the second trailer, it really is not. I mean, she's, you know, out in the courtyard and just looking kind of terrible, actually. Like, just, like, hair totally askew and um, and just focusing more on being crazy. Um, and I don't being know. She's ended. still wearing she's still wearing weird hooker heel tennis shoes and short booty shorts and and fishnets and things like that. But I would say to kind of be devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. What the hell else was their option? You're gonna put her in the full zip up onesie with the black and the red like somebody asked her that in an interview and it really made me very upset that people uh, somebody this this woman was interviewing Margot Robbie and they go so you know they, they're asking about getting off of the role and what did you know about Harley Quinn and what did you know about Suicide Squad blah blah and then they say so <laughs> would you have taken the role if you were going to be wearing a jester's outfit and I'm like fuck you Really? Like, this is how the character was designed. Right. And you're going to just take such a massive shit on this original costume of what this character was designed as by Paul Dini to right. say, oh, a jester's costume? Like, what a joke. You know, and, and especially, I mean, that's uh, not to try and get on the cosplay pedestal here, but for all the people who have done a real-life version of uh, Harley's original costume and have made it look fantastic, you know, made it form-fitting, made it look uh, nice and like the cartoon, and to, to say that, oh, they, they couldn't have done that. That would have been too silly. That would have been too stupid. Well, I don't, um, I don't necessarily have hatred towards that original costume. I love the original costume, but my point mm-hmm. is, if you've gone through and you're doing gritty redesigns of everybody else's look, and then you leave her in the Jester's costume, I think that would have been very disjointing. So, like I said, I was giving them a pass on the redesign simply because if they've already made the decision that everybody gets the gritty reboot costume design, with the exception mm-hmm. of like Katana and, and Captain Boomerang, which they went, we can't figure anything else out. That's all they have. <laughs> um, then, I, then I can see where they were coming from with the redesign for Harley, just because that would have felt so off-putting to be like, okay, everybody else gets these real-life, real life, super realistic, hey, it's mm-hmm. just like this guy's just wearing fatigues or whatever, and then she gets a full-blown Renaissance Festival costume. It would seem it would it would probably be distracting to a lot of moviegoers. Yeah, no, obviously. So I, I give them the pass, but I completely mm-hmm. agree with you. Do I think you could do the traditional Harley Quinn outfit on the screen? Do you do I think it would be possible and still look good? Absolutely, I think it would. And I think uh, even if they threw in like a um, a flashback or something like that and showing her in the outfit. I think you could do that as a test run and show, hey, by the way, this would have worked as well had we not gone so gritty with everything. Yeah, and, and I don't think they're they're that they're going to go in that direction, unfortunately. Oh, um, I think that the one thing and one of the main reasons that people were reacting really negatively to a lot of the customs early on is that they seemed so kind of uh, closet cosplay just thrown right. together that Harley Quinn's literally wearing a t-shirt. Like, what? A t-shirt? Right. You know, because you would think, okay, well, if this team is being put together by the government, they'd probably, like, armor them up a little bit, right. you know? And that you might get kind of a more military Harley Quinn, which I'd be totally cool with if they did it more oh, yeah, SWAT like, team uh, Harley. What was the, um, what was that, there was a game trailer 
DC the, Universe Online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Big bazooka and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she absolutely did. And yeah, uh, I would have been fine with that. Yeah, I would have been totally cool with that. And you know, it was like had a army helmet. Maybe not that far, but but to have more like SWAT gear almost, but have it be you know Harley's color scheme and. Right. and Bright and colorful, and kind of a, a a clown version of you know what could be like a SWAT gear, like sexy clown SWAT gear. I would have been totally cool with that. But instead, they went with this weird kind of almost sports theme for a lot of the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Where she's wearing like a baseball tee, and um, Captain Boomerang's like got like a zip up like sports jacket, like windbreaker thing, and uh, there's a weird kind of sports theme going on with a lot of them. But uh, generally, I mean, I've learned to love everything that they've shown so far. You know, I think the second trailer is so incredible for Suicide Squad, and I, I love see. I get chills every time I watch it. You know, that it's like okay to make the Guardians comparison. This looks like a fun movie. This doesn't look dreary, and I'm not complaining about the lack of levity in Batman Superman. But this looks like a blast, a blast and a half. And why would you not want to go be a part of that? Ultimately, like yes, we we all love sitting down and watching something that's going to make us think and cry and blah 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 but we we do eventually need that movie that we can sit down and laugh and have a good time and feel like we're strapping in for a roller coaster ride and that's what i feel like suicide squad is going to hopefully deliver for us well that's enough of that let's talk about uh student bodies real quick okay um i'm just kidding we're already in an hour there's no way yeah <laughs> yeah this this i i warned you didn't i didn't i say hey you did you did we're gonna talk for an hour about comic books if we get on this uh, okay well folks i guess we're gonna be talking about student bodies next episode yeah hopefully <laughs> or we'll move on to something else um okay but how about this though before we wrap up to try to save face here do you want to read your review for all american murder sure i'd okay. love to let's, uh, end, let's end with that then Great, so you can find this on Amazon right now. Um, and my review goes like this. I sought this movie out because I'm finishing up my degree in criminal justice, about to start police training, and I wanted to know what to expect. I was not disappointed. I learned an irreplaceable amount of helpful tips and real-world law enforcement trips from Christopher Walken's Detective P.J. Decker. Even from his introductory scene, I knew I had to brandish a pad of paper to take notes. Firstly... I was taught that in an armed hostage situation, forget all of that listening and earning their trust nonsense. The best course of action is to insult them, claim you're sleeping with their spouse, then accuse them of sexual impotence. This works wonders and will send the hostage taker charging out of the building, giving you ample time to shoot them in slow motion. The main lesson I was taught, though, is about how to solve a murder case. Anyone who tells you it involves a lot of hard work, depositions, uh, analysis of evidence, etc., is wrong. The best way to handle a murder case is to allow the primary suspect 24 hours to find the real killer. After all, they said they didn't do it. Why would they lie? You still have to check up on them occasionally to update them on how much time they have left and to tell them personal stories about your family, but otherwise, you should be pretty hands-off. Another helpful tip I learned is near the end of the film that if you find someone else dead and you suspect maybe that your first suspect did it while they were supposed to be investigating, bring them in because, hey, fool me once. But, hey, don't handcuff them or search their personal belongings. Just put them in the back of your car. They do deserve a chance to escape. In conclusion, being a detective is super easy, and I'm excited for the rest of my life. Also, it was pretty crazy how the pretty blonde girl who everybody thought died first by fire, she was the killer the whole time? Wow. 
thank God I let the murder suspect take care of this because I would have not been able to figure that one out. That's amazing. I'm glad that we stuck with the theme of completely spoiling the movie <laughs> in the last line of the review. Yes, absolutely. That is a, a definite theme that has to uh, carry on. <sighs> wow. All right. Well, um, so I hope you guys enjoyed this review of Student Bodies. Right. It's pretty good. I think it's probably one of our best episodes. I would say so. Um, let's uh, plug real quick, buddy. What do you got to plug this week? Uh, let's see. Um, oh, uh, the the episode of the final thirty, which I I may be throwing this whole project out now because I'm a prejudgy <laughs> shit. Um, this this past episode for this week is about a movie called The Beach Girls, um, and it's the first episode where I actually genuinely completely lose my shit uh, because. The movie was really awful, and I was really angry about it, and I completely lost my damn mind while filming the video for it. So if you ever wanted to see me just completely go apeshit for a minute about a dumb movie, um, definitely go watch that on YouTube, youtube.com slash horriblehorrorsnew. Um, that one's up there. We're wrapping up the first five episodes of the final 30, which may be the final five, I don't know. And uh, I'm questioning everything now. And then uh, I'll have a couple of regular reviews go up, and then we'll go back to Final 30 if I'm still doing it, if I'm not dead by then. Um, <laughs> well, that's about it for me. Anyway, TM, how, many, how many uh How many uh, movies were in the collection? Like, how many Final 100. 100 films. 100 in that collection. Yeah. And, and breaking up by five. And, and now, uh... oh, but yes, yes, I, get, I see your point. Yes, I made the same joke of, I'm only four movies in, and I completely melt down, and I have another, you know... Another 95, 95 to, go. to go, and so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the podcast of the two guys who review Sex and the City 2 every week. Like, they just gradually lose their minds. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I can see that happening. Um, but, you, but you break it up by five, so you'll do five Final 30, and then you'll do a couple regular horror horrors, and then... Um, Horrible horrors. Horror horrors. Yeah, you're right the first time. Horrible horrors. Um, yeah, that, that is the plan. Um, now, like I said, after today's episode, um, that, that's <laughs> completely in question now. But yes, that was the plan. Oh, goodness. Uh, well, I will definitely watch uh, Beach Girls, and uh, I would love to see you uh, freak out there. Um me, I'm just plugging the standard stuff. You can go ahead and uh, find a bit of my writing on uh, huntingandheroes.tumblr.com. And then definitely the main thing I want to plug is just everything in regards to Frightful Fairies right now. So if you happen to stumble upon this episode, any amount of support you can give us is spectacular. So if you can leave a review on iTunes, if you could follow us on Instagram, um, I believe we do have now have a Facebook and a Tumblr, so follow us on there as well. Leave any comments. Tell your friends about us. Write us love letters. Uh, you can actually email us directly at frightfulfailure. Uh, at yahoo.com and uh, any suggestions any feedback at all constructive criticism we love hearing from anybody that happens to stumble upon this it's you cannot imagine how essential it is you know in these first few episodes while we're getting started and trying to establish some kind of a fan base so we really really appreciate any amount of help there so thank you in advance uh anything else before we wrap up uh this review of student bodies well, Mr. i was gonna oh. say uh can you give me like uh, a one sentence what your overall thoughts about student bodies was and then we'll a tease we'll... for next episode yes, exactly um i think that if this film had followed through I, I i said this a little bit at the beginning of the episode i think this film had followed through with the same kind of comedy that was launching off near the beginning of the movie and it carried that throughout and really climaxed in a better way um that this would have 
invalidated most horror parodies. It would have completely invalidated like Scream and uh, Scary Movie and even to an extent Cabin in the Woods and really torn apart the horror genre before it even got a chance to really dig into this because this movie came out before Nightmare on Elm Street. So mm-hmm. this was almost ahead of its time and I think that maybe is the reason why it failed is that it was somewhat ahead of its time I feel. Um, yeah, so that's why I have to say about it. Just a tease. Excellent, excellent. I'm actually very, very interested. Despite how today's episode went, I'm actually very interested to hear your thoughts on that movie because I do very much enjoy that film, and I do feel like it's uh, it's ahead of its time. But yeah. I'm still, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to talk about it despite us completely no selling it this week. Well, don't ask me about Batman next week, and I this won't happen. I will definitely avoid that. <laughs> so uh, until next time, I am Zach Romero. And I am Tian Quignol. Thank you for listening to Frightful Failures on Film, and continue circulating the tapes.